guys, and welcome to episode 17 of the One Life Podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Graby. Our mission at One Life is to inspire you to take risks, dream big, and to live your life on purpose. And today, we are so excited for you to hear from Mark and Jan Foreman. They are the parents of John and Tim Foreman of Switchfoot, a little group you might have heard of. They live in Southern California. They're pastors, and they are the authors of one of our favorite books on the planet, Never Say No. Yeah, if you heard our episode on life-changing books, you heard me rave about this book. It is my absolute all-time favorite parenting book. It really is. And we were so honored that they joined us to talk about the book, their heart behind it, and their journey in raising two world-changing kids and being world-changers themselves. The good news is our kids are pre-wired to want to be like us. The bad news is they're pre-wired to want to be like us. So the large part of parenting is us transforming. It forces us to look in the mirror and ask, who do I want to be when I grow up? Because that's who my children are going to become. I'm so excited for this interview. Yeah, you guys are going to love it. And we're going to jump right in because there was so much good stuff. It was really hard to cut anything. So no, we didn't cut anything. <laughs> it's a little bit longer today, but you are going to love every single story, every single bit of wisdom. We could listen to these two forever. So without further ado, enjoy our wonderful conversation with Mark and Jan Foreman. Mark and Jan, we're so excited to have you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for Our having joy. us. joy. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're going to dive right in because we have a ton of questions to ask you. Literally, you know, Jenny and I talked about it. There's like, how do we trim up everything we want to say in this short <laughs> podcast? And so, again, thank you so much for being here. Like if we talked about uh, the book that you guys have written, and we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. But, you know, my wife is probably like the biggest fan of you guys in the entire world, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, oh, thank you. Yeah. Such she, a big fan of the book, yeah. She's like literally recommended your book to every, like, oh, you got it? This is what you need to read. This is the book right here. For sure. It's so good. So before we dive into the book, I want to take a second, and I want you to let our listeners know just a little bit about you, who you are, and what you do. Well, I am a pastor, been that for 45 years, and uh, pastor here in San Diego, Carlsbad, California. We have two wonderful kids, and I have this fantastic wife. And um, we have learned a lot from our global partners around the world that's kind of informed our faith, just seeing a big picture of what God's doing around the world. So I'd say that's a big piece of who we are today, too. That's awesome. So guys, I can't wait to dive into your book. Like Chris said, I am probably the biggest fan on the planet. I just think it should be required reading for anyone who has a kid at the hospital. Guys, we just need to work that out as a deal. If you have a baby, you've got to read this book. I mean, it should be the manual, but I am so grateful for it. Thank you so much for writing it. Thank you for your appreciation. It's just our story, you know? Yeah. Kind of, you reverse engineer what you did when your kids are older and figure out what did we do? <laughs> How did we get here? Right? Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I loved at the beginning when you said your mission statement as a couple was to be used to the greatest extent for the greatest good to burn out rather than rust out. And when I read that, I knew these are our people. These are totally our people. So before we dive into the book, take us there. Would you take us back to the beginning when those two world changers came together? Tell us how you guys met and how your family came to be. Yeah, well, we uh, we met when I was 19. I think Jan was 18. And um, 
we were both going to the same university college and we had just met. Uh, she was a freshman. I was a transferring sophomore. And uh, the convergence of our lives, we were just friends at the time that she was raised in a uh, Christian home. And I was raised in a non-Christian home, but had recently become a Christian. And we were both on fire because mm -hmm. of the love of Jesus. And that was really what drew us together. And we had friends who were missionaries in India. And so when we'd get together on campus, we'd randomly run into each other. We'd say, hey, let's, let's just forget all this and go sail off to India. And <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like our people. Yeah, yeah, it sounds exactly <laughs> And I think well, I would say that uh, we were willing to be used for it. A lot of people have visions of what they're going to do. They're going to pastor. They're going to evangelize. They're going to lead conferences. But we had no clue. We just wanted to be used. And so yeah, it didn't matter. We, just say we, yes, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of our motto. So we thought maybe it would be helping couples. Maybe it would be youth pastoring. Maybe it would be directing a conference center. Maybe it would be church planting. And we did all of those things. <laughs> Whatever was set up in front of us, that's what we did. I love that. You know, the mission of, of One Life, what we're doing is we're literally trying to inspire people to take risks, dream big, and to live their life on purpose. Because I think so often people look up and they, they don't live their life on purpose. And it sounds like you guys have really, truly tried to embody that and live your life to the fullest. A question that I do have, though, is in the whole rusting out, burning out situation, you know, when you're young and you're 19, you're 18 like that, and you're like, let's go change the world. But then you, you have kids and you have responsibilities. Was there ever a season that you guys found yourself where maybe you were in that rusting out thing. You saw that happening. It, did it happen or how'd you keep it from happening if it never did? Love to hear about that. Chris, ironically, after 15 years of ministry, I, I went back and got my PhD in counseling and the dissertation was on burnout. <laughs> burnout among clergy. and wow. uh, So important. So huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I discovered in the process is we often associate stress with burning out. And that is not true. Stress and burnout are two distinct constructs. Uh, a person can be ministering 80 hours a week and not burn out, or a person can be ministering two hours a week and burn out. Burnout is actually depression in the workplace, mm. it, which means I'm not getting a base hit. This isn't working. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it over and over again with no success. And we begin to despair. We have no hope. The bounce in our tigger step is lost. And you see that not only in ministry, but you see that people in all kinds of helping professions. But when I begin to get a base hit where it's connecting, where I feel like, yes, it's working, uh, that's when the burnout disappears. So we really have to go back to when I feel burned out, discouraged, what's not happening that I'm wanting to happen? Why why am I going to the plate over and over again and striking out? And there's usually a reason for that. But uh, all of that said, that I, I rediscovered in that process of 15 years that I really love pastoring, that that's what I wanted to do. But I wanted to do it where I was succeeding in what God had called me to do. That's so good. And on the other side of that, too, maybe you could speak for a second, you know, about 
that's the burnout side, but there's a lot of people who are kind of falling into that rust out category as well, where they're just kind of going through the motions and that fire that was once there has kind of subsided because they're not keeping that lit. Talk about that for a second. For me, it involves keeping um, an open mind and, and never settling for comfort and trying to move into uh, zones where I'm I'm outside my comfort zone. I think that's the normal for a Christian. When you rust out, it's because you've made a habit of saying no to the opportunities that come along, and then no becomes your go-to. And I I never want to miss out. Isn't what that fear of missing out? I I have it pretty badly actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're guilty. We're guilty. Oh, yeah. right here. So I I never want to miss out because some of the times I've said yes have led to incredible opportunities, and then the times where I pull back and wanted to just sit on the sidelines, God doesn't let me do that too long. So I hear the rust out bit, but I think there's just too much of God in this universe to just sit and miss out on on the opportunities that he gives you. And just to look at this world as an adventure that just unfolds every new day, you know? Absolutely. For me, when I'm burning out, or, or let's use a different term, when I'm doing too much, for me, it's always that I'm greedy. I don't want to miss anything, and I need boundaries. I can't say yes to everything. Uh, But oftentimes, people can have too thick a boundary, and it's a protectionist thing that they're protecting themselves from fear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I don't want to be fearful, and I don't want to be greedy. I just want to live in the slot that God's given me to live. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's great. Yeah, I love it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, that's so good. And I think it, you know the whole idea of saying yes or saying no. I mean, you wrote this book called "Never Say No: Raising Big Picture Kids," and so um, I'm sure the first initial reaction of most people that you talk to is like, "Wait, I never tell my kid no." <laughs> so I want you guys to to kind of expound a little bit of what it means. What does it mean to never say no? Yes. Well, that was a parenting motto that we adopted early on in our family. And it's funny how people will initially hear that title and view it through the lens of behavior rather than relationship. What we mean is never say no to the relationship. So, you know, when your son asks you to play goalie or your daughter wants you to have a tea party or dress up, or when they're older, they want you to go out and surf and it's miserable, windy, cold day. <laughs> you want to be with them and you yeah. try to lean into every opportunity that they invite you into their world because it may not happen again in quite the same way. So the never say no just pertain to the way God relates to us. He never closes the door in relationship. He's always there for us. And also, it's never saying no to the the core of who your child is. Our kids are not like us, and God has plans for them that are different than our plans. And right. So it's not closing those doors either prematurely for our kids, but saying yes as we notice their unique callings and interests that we want to lean into those as well. Yeah, I think we all remember the song, Cats in the Cradle. And uh, that's the what we don't want to do, where we say to our kids, we'll get together then, we're going to have a good time then. And we exactly. miss yeah. the opportunities that are now. 
That's so good. Yeah, it's so motivating. I love how you say, if you say no too often, they'll stop asking. It's so true. And it, man, that just hits home. I know with so many parents that hear that it, it's motivating to say yes as much as we can while we can. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it hits home, it hits home for us. I mean, yeah. I think to myself every day, I have to go, oh man, <laughs> did I say no yeah. because of the busyness of life? Yeah, right. Because it's not always easy to say yes. It's a hard yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sometimes. And, you know, I mean, there's obviously times that you cannot say yes. Your, your hand's on the steering wheel. You're on the freeway. Right. And you can't play basketball right now. But you can uh, set up an opportunity. You can set up an appointment. You can say, okay, we're on the freeway now, but when we get home, let's do this. So your kids are living in a real world, but nevertheless, you're putting a priority on relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And Mark, I heard you say um, in an interview, you were talking about the power of no and power of that word no really being kind of like putting the brakes on. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You drive a car with an accelerator pedal. You stop a car with the brakes, but you cannot drive a car with brakes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So by the time the child is two years old, uh, they've heard very few yeses and they've heard a ton of no's. They've heard no so much that they can hardly wait to use the word back on their parents. <laughs> and they've discovered it's the most powerful word in the world. And the word yes should be the most powerful word in the world. So we want to be primarily accelerator pedals and only secondarily brakes. Yeah, that's so good. Um, So another one of my favorite quotes from the book, guys, was when you said, children are great imitators, so let's give them something great to imitate. It's so true, and I just couldn't get that out of my head after I read it. I love that, the urgency that you bring with that idea to parenting. It's like waking us up to remember that this parenting thing is just a gift. These precious kids are a gift, and whether we realize it or not, they are following our every move. So unpack that idea a little bit for us. Yeah, you see it in so many other species, particularly we always talk about ducklings becoming just like the mother duck, but it's true of the human species as well. The good news is our kids are pre-wired to want to be like us. The bad news is they're pre-wired to want to be like us. (laughs) So the large part of parenting is us transforming it, you know, we, we go to seminars on spiritual formation and transformation. One of the most primary ways to cause that to happen is to have children. It forces us to look in the mirror and ask, who do I want to be when I grow up? Because that's who my children are going to become. Ooh, yeah. So I had this experience uh, one day when our kids were young. The dogs were barking all night and uh, I couldn't sleep. And so I finally slid open the bathroom window that was above the toilet, and I shouted out the window, knock it off, baby. And, uh, <laughs> and surprisingly, all the dogs in the neighborhood stopped. <laughs> and so I went to bed feeling pretty powerful. Right. Uh, the next morning, John he climbed up on the toilet, slid the window open, and said, knock off, baby. Oh, <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, this is scary. Yeah. How much they want to mimic us. Yeah. 
That's so true. I I remember reading that in the book. And for me, I heard my two-year-old say when we're driving down the road, go, dude. When we're sitting at a stoplight, she said, go, dude. I was like, oh, no. I guess I say that. I didn't realize. (laughs) Um, They're little mirrors. Yeah, they are. And it's not just behavior. It's also values. It's emotions. The things I fear, the things I avoid. Yes, yes. One thing, but it's who we are that they'll actually become. So that's yes. it's just a, like you said, it's a great opportunity to grow up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's great. No, that's really good. So in the book, you talk about how kids have a great need for security. And at the same time, a great need for adventure. Mm-hmm. How do you find the balance to give your child both of those things? For us, uh, it was important for us. And I think actually the, the more secure they feel, uh, the more they'll be risk takers and want to be adventurous. So we had uh, all the different things that would make them feel secure, not only talking to them about our love for them, but God's love for them, taking time to be with them, showing them value spending time in the evenings before tucking them into bed, reading them stories, all of the nesting things that would say, this is safe. You can just be as big as you want, and this is safe. And they seem to have no problem in wanting to go out into the woods where we lived or later on into the ocean where we lived and be adventurous uh, because they knew where home was. Right. And I would say that's an example of wanting to be an example to your kids from the last question. If I am reticent to to do something that would be fun but a little risky, then uh-huh. as I push myself out of my comfort zone, they're going to follow and know that that's okay. I remember one year for Christmas, I gave everybody scuba diving lessons, and we were off and running, you know? <laughs> it challenged me, but again, it set a tone that said, we can do something that's a bit out of our comfort zone. I know one thing we do talk about in the book is this triangle between risk, responsibility, and freedom. And I think those three are so related. We can give our kids more freedom as we give them more responsibility. And then, of course, there is greater risk. But as you incrementally increase that from the time they're three even – you know, from tricycles to two-wheelers to going through the neighborhood, in whatever area that may be, it helps them to have confidence that they can take on the next thing. But it's just not raw freedom. It's freedom in the context of responsibilities that they're keeping, that they're aware of, and they're also aware of the risk. They have those things in view the whole time. I love that. I, I think I heard an interview that you did, Mark, I believe it was at a Catalyst a couple years ago, and you talked about um, the idea that most parents are going to lean towards safety. They want to keep their kids safe. They want to keep them protected. And sometimes we talk about the kid that just stares at the window. You go, no, you got to go outside. You got to get banged up, bruised up, go have some fun. And so when you talk to people, do you find that most people are kind of, when you go, hey, no, let them risk, let them, let them live this kind of dangerous risk life where you're helping guide them. But what have you found as you've kind of taught this idea and this philosophy? Well, I see an excitement about the idea, but I still think the majority of believers in America, the highest value for parents is safety. Right. That I want my child to be safe 
And so we put them in safe places, safe institutions. We introduce them to safe people. And then we hope that they'll eventually uh, marry a safe person together (laughs) till they get to the safe heaven that God (laughs) has prepared for us. And we've kind of lost sight of the Great Commission. Um, I was interviewing a man that was in his, on the front lines of Iraq helping people who were wounded by ISIS. And I asked him this question. I said, here we are on the front lines. <laughs> what are you doing? This doesn't feel safe. And he says, Jesus never asks us, go be safe. He says, go change the world. And, yeah. um, and, and I'm not saying that every person's called to do that. But nevertheless, it's a great picture of us deciding that, of course, Jesus has our back and he promises to provide for us. He promises to care for us and love us. But he has given us a clear picture in the words of C.S. Lewis that we are like paratroopers behind their enemy lines that are being called to do something great for our God. And it's going to involve calculated risks at times. And the other part of this is that safety isn't really safe because faith can't grow when it's smothered. Mm. One of our mottos, too, was let's take our kids to the edge because we wanted to take ourselves to the edge. And by the edge, I mean the edge of where you're comfortable and you can see God's people in action, whether it's um, taking them to a dump in Mexico to help feed the poor or a breadline here in San Diego or building houses in some community, connect them with real people living in different times and spaces, and they'll see why reading the Bible and prayer and why trusting God is so important because they'll be outside of their comfort zone and realize on that edge how important believing God is, and it'll empower them to want to do more things within their sphere of influence. I can guarantee God will call your kids to a part of the world that needs their light. And those are sometimes scary places. They're good places, too, because we all believe that the safest place is in God's will. So The kids that fall away from church and from God are the ones that don't see God relevant, that don't see God as changing the world. But the kids, particularly teenagers, that go to the edge and they see Christians changing the world, they want to join that force and begin to be a part of that adventure. I believe that the Christian life is one big adventure. And we believe that wholeheartedly as well, man. Totally, again, cut from the same cloth, man. I love it. I love that so much. Take our kids to the edge because we want to live there too. (laughs) I mean, we are so in agreement with you guys. Oh, man. So So I would love to hear, I mean, the parents of two amazing young men, I would love to hear kind of what's the fruit of that? You have these grown adult men who are in Switchfoot and they're doing great things, but how's it playing out as as husbands and dads? Like, what does that look like? I, I would love to hear that fruit. I hear that story. I could only hope to be as great a dad as my sons are. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. But in everything, we're not proud of what they do. It's just who they are. And that's always what you want for your kids. Is their lives are quality lives. They're the same on stage and off. And when we grow up, we want to be like them. 
<laughs> that's that's what you hope for, right? Yeah. That's yeah. that's the whole goal. I love it. Well, Jan, what's amazing is you said, you know, sometimes it takes you to scary places. I yeah. mean, the influence that they've had and the places they've been, honestly, can be some of the scariest places on the planet. And God's using them in such a big way to impact so many people. It's such a tangible way to see how God has increased the influence that he put inside of you to use them. Well, I think it starts by just observing your kids like... Um, an anthropologist and kind of dusting off what God's buried inside them, finding out how they're hardwired, and then identifying those gifts, interests, abilities, and polishing them. I think that's part of their living out their story. And then as you encourage those things when they're young, you'll notice a trajectory if you connect those dots to who they become later on, whether they're interested in people. They like to take things apart. They're good with words. You can provide opportunities for them to grow in those areas. And then as they see that confidence growing them, you can come alongside and be their encouragers in whatever area God has them. I just really feel that those interests, those gifts become the building blocks for their good story later on in life and how God might use them. And every kid's different. But our vision was that God would, you know, use our kids more than us. And why not? And it really has turned out that way. Mm -hmm. You know, we just stand on the sidelines now, just amazed at the things they'll sing about, the things they write about. John will have a column in Huffington Post, and I'm amazed at his ability to write. I'm amazed at Tim's ability to write. But I think at the end of the day, it's those little things. It's that nightclub early on in Hollywood. It's that military stage that they play on where uh, we find out later on that they touched a person's life and encouraged them. And then they'll report that back to us. We find those moments particularly precious. And when our kids were little, we tried as much as possible to talk to God normally, naturally throughout the day. We let our kids be a part of adult conversations around our table where we had inspiring people there. We just brought them along to as many things as we possibly could because they take all that in and they're seeing good stories lived out. And it just makes them want to have their own good story. It's inspiring. And I've really appreciated raising our kids in that kind of community as well of people that were great examples. It's very important. Yeah, I love that so much. And I love kind of the example you guys use in the book of passing on our faith being like the torch at an Olympic yeah. ceremony that you pass on. And if we don't keep our flames lit, yep. we don't have any fire to pass on to our kids. So yeah. talk about that for a minute. How do you keep your own fire alive and burning? And what advice would you give to others to keep theirs going strong? Well, I'm always looking for someone that's been ahead of me in the jungle. And mm -hmm. it might be a book, it might be a, a real living mentor where I say, oh, okay, they've gone ahead of me, and uh, now I know where I am on the map here. So I, I'm looking for that inspiration. I'm also touched by the moments I have alone with Jesus. I think Jesus is still on the loose, and when he comes and meets with me alone, I'm amazed at his mercy and his love, and it ignites me. Uh, and then I would say there's moments of wonder 
whether it's taking a walk on the beach or a sunset or a walk in the woods or looking at how a parent is loving their, their newborn. Those are moments of wonder where I realize, oh my gosh, there's still magic in the world because God made this world and it reignites me. And we also, as just one of our spiritual disciplines, we started in the last five, eight years praying together every morning. And I think that's really helped us as a couple stay connected in our spiritual intimacy to know what's on each other's hearts and then to agree. And as we lift our family up together in prayer, it's just 10 minutes in the morning where we pray through a psalm and then pray specifically for our family. But it's been a great tether for our souls to stay close to each other and do that together. I love that. That's so good. Okay, I have one more question because there's a moment, Jan, that you share in the book that so resonated with me, and I know so many friends of mine as well. It's the white rug moment, the right rug story. Would you share that really quick with us? Well, we had bought this home, and we were so excited because it was a real house, if you know what I mean. And (laughs) I made the stupid decision to put white carpet upstairs but I'd never bought new carpet, so it was really special. And, of course, it's been just days since we'd gotten that rug laid that John had been building models in his room, which is an awesome thing for a kid to be inspired <laughs> to do, and had black paint. And it, the whole thing went over on a huge puddle of black in the center of the but, carpeting. But, but nobody knew it, so it was there for days. And oh. so um, when I found it, I just... Uh, stars, you know, and said, I can't believe you're working on models on my new rug. And now I'll have to replace the whole room. I don't know how we could possibly get it up. And he was so upset and just, oh, I know. I'm so sorry. I noticed it and I should have told you and sorry, sorry, sorry. And I walked out of the room and I felt suddenly so convicted that this rug was now elevated above my son's soul, (laughs) emotional (laughs) well-being, because he was pretty upset about it. He's a real tender guy and he didn't do it to be rebellious. He just, it was an accident. So I bit my lip and I turned around I went in and just hugged him and said, you know what, you're more important than this rug. We'll figure it out. I don't know how. And he said, I have a great idea. And he went down and got some simple green, which kind of heals all, (laughs) and uh, Mm -hmm. began spraying it on the spot. And do you know that spot pretty much came out the whole whole thing? But I realized my words spoken in that moment in anger had stained his heart. And I never want to let those moments do that. But if they do, it's easy to go back and say, I'm sorry, and just tell your child how you did wrong, how you acted badly. Kids are so willing to forgive. They're not like adults. They don't hold grudges. I mean, it was like, suddenly we're close again, we're on the same page, and we're working on the problem. And I think what would have happened if I buried and carried that and then done it again and done it again? So I love how the Holy Spirit catches you and tells you, "Uh uh-uh, you did not represent me well there, but you have another chance. And the I'm, I'm sorry is our second chance. And in some ways, when we admit that we've blown it to our kids, it gives them permission to then do the same thing for us. And it's it's so important for our kids who read us. They read our faces for who they are. Yeah. They look at us like looking in a mirror. Am I valuable? Am I special? Am I capable? 
my lovable. And in that moment, the rug was more important than my son. So I needed to go back and mirror to him and let him know, you know what? Who cares about a rug? I care about you and I care that we're close again and let's fix this. So it was a good hard lesson I'll never forget. Oh, man. I think every parent listening is resonating with you right now. I think we can all, we all have those moments, right, where we've lost it or we've messed up and we've elevated some small thing that was just an accident over these precious kids. And I love what you say, always choose people over perfection. And I love that you said that there's always grace. There's always an opportunity to go back and say, I'm sorry, and to teach them the right way to do it and to teach them that they are more valuable to us than whatever the mistake Yeah, and that they can make mistakes too and say they're sorry. (laughs) Yes. That is awesome. Well, I mean, you guys have seen some amazing things and you've done some amazing things. You raised some amazing boys. And so I guess the next question I have is what's what's next for the four? Oh, I think we both have a couple books left in us that we want to- Yay! And I think we want to learn how to step into the painting even more. One of the things that we use as a motto often is- don't look at the painting, step into the painting. Mm. That's good. And stepping into the painting can mean getting onto the playground with your child instead of sitting on a stupid park bench watching them play. Oh, amen. <laughs> it can mean stopping the car and getting out of the car to watch a sunset instead of just driving past it. Mm. And especially mean saying yes to your kids. Uh, just step into the painting. Mm-hmm. That's so good. That's good. That needs to be on a t-shirt. I know. Is that the title of your next book? <laughs> I don't know. It's <laughs> You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> Probably every couple has these little slogans. That's another one. That's another slogan. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. Well, I would buy it. I, I'm on board, guys. We'll be your launch team. We'll get it out there. Absolutely. We'll make the t-shirt for you. Yeah. So great. Well, what we like to do before we wrap up every single episode is kind of your rapid fire questions. And these have been so fun to ask and hear the wisdom that comes out. I know you guys will have great answers. So here are the questions. The first one is, what's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give the younger you? So we'll start with the first question. What book has changed your life? Uh, Many, but an easy one is Narnia. Yeah. Um, I think Narnia is a very adult book. Pass it off as a children's fable, but if we can grasp the Asland of Narnia, we can grasp Jesus who would take each adult on an adventure. That's great. The second question, what discipline or habit has made the biggest difference in your life? Uh, I would say uh, alone time with Jesus, Mm. rebooting both individually and as a couple Rebooting with the sense that he's here now and making every day an adventure with him. And what piece of advice would you give to the younger you? Don't take yourself so seriously. Take Jesus very seriously, but don't think of yourself so seriously. You know, if you look at every baseball player that's trying to kill it and hit a home run, they often don't. And you need to relax and just meet the ball. And as you grow older, You begin to find the zone where you're relaxed and you're just needing life that God is giving to you day by day. And for me, I think one book, there's so many books that have changed my life. I particularly love The Velveteen Rabbit Story because I think it's a picture of how God takes us and uses us. It's what I want for my life. And it's just such a great picture of sacrificial love. And it, it always reminds me how God loves broken things. 
And then probably a discipline or habit that's made a difference in my life. I would agree with Mark. I like to take 15 minutes every day and just be quiet, just sit. And I don't talk to God, but I just listen. And it's very hard to do. But I find the insights come in those 15 minutes. It's probably the most powerful, important part of my whole day. And then corollary to that is at the end of the day, when I'm going to sleep, I like to ask myself what was the best part of the day. And um, it's never folding the laundry or getting the bills paid. or (laughs) It's always the little moments of holding a grandkid's hand or making eye contact with my husband at that time and understanding we both understood each other or whatever it is. It's something very small and, and special. It's meaningful. So that's kind of informs my next day, you know, shows me what's important. And then a piece of advice I'd give to my younger you, it's exactly what Mark said. <laughs> Don't take myself so seriously that I would take more time to just enjoy the painting, to enjoy the moment, to enjoy the people. That's one of the main points in our book is that God enjoys us. Yeah. We get to enjoy each other. Life is so task-oriented. We can be so purpose-driven in, in a negative sense. But if we just, um, as you said, relax and look around and realize we're living in a miraculous world and um, and just soak in, in the little blessings that come along the way, I think it really helps you live a fuller, more purposeful life in the end. We were recently at SeaWorld with all three grandchildren watching the dolphin show. And uh, the demonstrator said that dolphins are such intricate beings that every day is a discovery into the mind and the life of a dolphin. And I love dolphins too, but I thought, how about human beings? We don't think of humans that way, but if you thought of your wife or your children that way, that every day I get to discover more of them who they are, how God has made them, rather than assuming I already know them, I already figured them all out, and take the adventure into just enjoying them, as Jan said. That's so good. Thank you guys so much. Man, we love you guys so (laughs) much, and we're so thankful for your work and for what you do and for the messages that you're putting out there for us and for other parents. We're just so thankful. Absolutely. Thank you for what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, taking the initiative. So inspiring. Yeah, we want to grow up and be like you. Yep. (laughs) well we're just all going to change the world because that's what you said you just tell us to go change the world so let's do it so if somebody wants to follow you guys where's the best place for them to reach out get in touch yeah we're both on twitter and facebook and then also they can go to our website at neversayno.co not com (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you don't need that silly M. Yeah. <laughs> That's just extra work, right? <laughs> and um, and then they can just buy the book on Amazon and write to us and tell us what they agree with or disagree with. We love to hear from everyone. That's awesome. I hope people do go and buy the book. It really is huge. And how do we get an audio book, guys? I just, I mean, I'm going to put a campaign together to get an audio book because I, I just. One, especially for busy parents that are driving Yes. We do all of our reading on audio. (laughs) We do too. I know. I kept looking. Like, hopefully, there's going to be an audio version someday because I recommend it so much. But I'm telling you, most of my friends listen instead of sit down and read because they just don't have time. Exactly. Write a big long letter to to Cook. (laughs) You got it. You got it. No, Jenny's just going to literally record it with this (laughs) microphone and send it to them and say, Look, here's the work, okay? (laughs) So awesome. We'll 
guys, again, thank you so much. We'll link up in the show notes for the yep. book and all the ways they can find you. But again, <laughs> thank you for the impact you've made in our lives, life and the impact you're making in the world. You guys are truly inspiring. Thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. For the thank opportunity. you, guys. All right. You guys thank take care. You. Well, I know who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> Oh, such a great conversation. Oh, man, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to have to go back and listen to that about 100 times. I mean, there was so much in there that I still can't stop thinking about. You know, they are the perfect example of someone living their one life well. They've gone strong, they've worked hard, and they have poured into people's lives, and they're seeing the fruit of that. And so we're so, so excited that you guys got to hear from these two amazing people, our two brand new best friends. Yeah, we are friends for life. Absolutely. Totally friends for life. Well, again, thank you so much for listening to the One Life Podcast. It means so much to us. And we would love it if you head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate and review, and then share the podcast. This would be a great one to share with your spouse. And then you can listen to it and discuss it later together as parents. You can sign up to be on our email list. And we actually email out discussion questions every week that you can use with your small group or with your spouse or with your kids or whoever you want to discuss it with. And we would love to hear from you. What did you take away from today's episode? You can find us on all the social platforms, Instagram, Facebook. We would love to hear from you. And remember, you can find all the links and the information from today's episode in our show notes over at our website at onelife.works podcast. That's right. Well, that's a wrap in it's the book. Episode, episode 17. 17. <laughs> We're just growing up so fast. We're 17 now. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we love you guys so much. And remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.